0: Matthew 14 and Psalm 5. Let's go ahead and pray, and let's get started. Heavenly Father, good to be here this morning. We're thankful for who you are and what you're doing, and just help us to keep our heart, mind, and soul focused on you and all that we say and all that we do. Um, Lord, thank you. Thank you for VBS going well, and just pray that right now we could clear our minds of everything else, and really for this, this next hour or so, just really keep our focus on you to learn and to grow in your name. Amen. Matthew 14. You know, once again, just a huge thank you for how great VBS went and the blessing that it was. I also want to give you a quick update as well, too. As you know, a couple of weeks ago, we took a group up to Dearborn, and uh, we went door-to-door in the Muslim communities there and invited other uh, kids to a Christian VBS. I just want you to let that sink in there for a second. Going door-to-door and inviting Muslim children to a Christian VBS. I just got an email yesterday from the guy that helps run it up there. On the first day of their VBS, they had over 120 kids and parents show up. So just think about that. So the Lord is moving and working up there in those Muslim communities. We're hoping to go back up again in August. So if that's something that interests you, see us. We'll keep you details and let you know. it's, it's, it's a real short, short-term mission trip. You go up there. It's only a couple hours away. You spend the day going door-to-door talking to people. You let the Lord open the doors. You plant some seeds, and you step back and see what God's going to do. So keep that in prayer, but it's neat to see the fruit that's going on up there, and amen to that. All right, so Matthew 14 here this morning. Matthew 14. If you weren't with us last week, we did the feeding of the 5,000, continuing our study here through the book of Matthew, and it ends on this amazing note, verse 21. Now, those who had eaten were about 5,000 men besides women and children. Now, it's not just 5,000 men. The total amount here is 10, probably maybe 15,000 people. Think about that for a second. Maybe 10, 15,000 people here that had eaten of this amazing miraculous meal. Now, Jesus has done amazing miracles before, People have been risen from the dead, he's cast out demons, he's healed sickness, etc. But to this extent, ten to 15,000 people, what an amazing group. He has them, he has them in the palm of his hands, if you will. These people are following, listening, etc. So what does Jesus do with this great group of people? Verse 22, immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat, go before him to the other side while he sent the multitudes away. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. Now, when evening came, he was alone there. I don't know who Jesus' PR guy is, but he needs to be fired. This is not the way to build a ministry. You have 10, 15,000 people there. They are listening to you. In fact, it says in the book of John, at this point, they were so moved, they wanted to make Jesus king. Now, why did they want to make Jesus king? Well, it's because they got a free meal. They like that. They wanted to follow that. And in a few chapters, he's going to feed 4,000. Then eventually Jesus says, no more free meals. Because he says, it's not about me. He then teaches in John, he goes, I am the bread of life. He goes, I am here to bring salvation to you. I am here to die on the cross for your sins. It's not about making me king now. That will come later. Philippians tells us that every knee will bow, every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Jesus will be king eventually. But at this moment, right here, right now, that's not God's plan. The plan is the cross. So he immediately leaves. Boy, we can learn a lot from that. Because it's really tempting, isn't it? Really tempting. When When you start to see things coming together, the different things that Satan can use. One of the things that Satan can use is pride. If you look in Isaiah 14, the reason that Satan fell was pride. He wanted to be like God. He wanted his own kingdom. Well, right here, Jesus is setting this example of getting away. Now think about that. Think about that. So often we spend so much time and energy trying to promote ourselves or to promote a church or to promote a ministry. And really, what we're just supposed to do is to promote Jesus Christ. And what it comes down to is John the Baptist set that wonderful example of that. John the Baptist was really, if you want to look at it, the first mega church pastor. He had all these followers, and when Jesus came, John started telling his followers, don't follow me, follow Christ. Follow him, pointing people towards Jesus. So the enemy will come in there and use that pride sometimes. Nope, Christ says, it's not my time to be king. I'm going to get away. And boy, does he get away. Look at the wording one of this one more time. Verse 22, sent the multitudes away. Verse 23, sends the multitudes away. He went up on the mountain by himself to pray, and he was alone. Alone. Now, we mentioned last week how Jesus wanted to get alone as well. Look at verse 13, same chapter. He departed from there by boat to a deserted place by himself, but the multitudes followed and he knew it was time to minister. But Jesus knew at this moment he needed to be alone. Now, let's talk about this. Go, if you will, just one book to the right. Go to Mark, Mark chapter 1. I want you to see an example that Christ sets very early in his ministry that I believe we need to see and to follow as well. Verse 35 of Mark chapter 1. Now in the morning, having risen a long while before daylight, he went out and departed to a solitary place, and there he prayed. That's the example that Christ set. Gets up in the morning, gets away from everybody, solitary, place, And he spends time in prayer. If Jesus himself knew the importance of spending time in prayer with God the Father, how much more shall we need that same need of starting our day off with the Lord? In the world today, we are so absolutely connected. Absolutely connected. People can get a hold of you in so many different ways. Phone calls, emails, texts, whatever. The idea of separating yourself from the world and just spending time alone That's just almost unheard of. And when I say spending time alone, I don't mean separating yourself from the world and saying so I can watch my favorite TV show or I can go work on this hobby, et cetera. No, I'm saying connecting, excuse me, disconnecting from the world to say, I want to spend time with the Lord, with the Lord. That idea of just letting everything go and focusing solely on him in that departed solitary place and saying, Lord, I want to spend time with you. Now that's so hard to do, isn't it? I know for this at home, there's nine of us right there at home now. When I say, okay, everybody, it's time to go to bed, I keep track of how many times people come to my room and knock on the door. There's no solitary place. I get that. That's the season of life we're in. Everybody wants a piece of you, don't they? Hasn't changed in 2,000 years. Look at verse 36. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him. This is Jesus. Jesus, the one that we say, is this ultimate example of love and ministry and mercy and being available and representing, putting yourself to the side, washing feet. What is going on in verse 36? He is so departed from the place that they're searching for him. Verse 37, when they found him, they said to him, everyone is looking for you. Moms, do you not feel that way with your kids? Everyone is looking for you. Do you not feel that way sometime at work? Do you not sometimes feel that way in ministry? Whatever, everyone is looking for you and everybody just wants a minute, just a minute. I have learned in life if somebody says it's a minute, I got to probably give them an hour because no one ever wants a minute. Everyone's looking for you. So what does this great example of ministry do in verse 38? He said to them, let us go into the next town that I may preach there also because for this purpose I've come forth. Did you see what he just did there? Can you imagine being alone at your house? I don't know, you escape into your backyard, solitary place, you're praying, your whole family's looking for you, they find you, and they say, Dad, there's like 10, 15 people at the front door, they want to talk to you. And then I say to my kids, let's get in the van and leave. That sounds really rude, doesn't it? Jesus was so focused on his mission and so focused on what the Father asked him to do, he was not going to be swayed by verse 37. Everyone is looking for you. The first thing that the enemy uses to bring us down is pride. Jesus, now is your time to become king. You don't have to go to the cross anymore. You could become king without going to the cross. Jesus says no. The second thing that the enemy uses to bring us down is just utter busyness. Remember a couple of weeks ago we did the parable of the sower and the seed. We talked about how the weeds, the world, chokes us out. Busyness. The calendar controls our life. Appointments control our life. Work schedules control our life. It's not the Lord. It's all that other type of stuff. Here, right here, the busyness. Everyone's looking for you. Well, that means it's time for me to go. But he knew what the Lord was leading him to do. Now, how can we take these points and apply it to us? Okay, go to Psalm, please. Psalm chapter 5. Let's start there. i got six different passages. They're all in the book of Psalms. Keeping it simple here that I want us to go through and work together. Talking about the importance of that time with the Lord. Look at the examples that Jesus says. In Mark 1, we see him getting up early in the morning and giving his day over to the Father. We see in Matthew here. In Matthew chapter 14, departing and saying, I just need to pray for a while. I'm spending time with him. I want you to let go of every reason and excuse you have on why you can't start your day out with the Lord, okay? A couple of weeks ago when we did the parable of the sower and the seed, I said I want you to fundamentally change the way you look at life. You are no longer going into Walmart to get groceries. You are going to scatter seeds. You are no longer just running into the gas station to get fuel. You are hoping that someone pulls up beside you that you can scatter seeds with. I want to change the way you look at mornings. I want to. I want you to see the biblical example here. Now, I don't want to be legalistic about this, I'm a morning person. I can get up at any time, and as soon as I get up, I'm just happy, okay? Some of you, you're still not awake right now. I, I have people come up to me, and they say, what time does church start? We have two services. We have 8, 30, and 10. They go, 10? Don't you got anything later? I say, what are you talking about? 10 o'clock in the morning. So I'm like, do you work third? No. i what are you talking about? 10. So not everybody's a morning person. Dawn and I are going to be married 20 years here in a couple weeks. She's not a morning person. Before we had kids, she had a job where she had to be at work at 5.45 in the morning. 5.45 in the morning. So she would get up at 4 something in the morning. So I was, I was the good husband. I am the good spiritual leader. So she would get up. And so I would sit outside the bathroom door and we'd do devotions. as she's getting ready at 4 something in the morning. I did that for three days. <laughs> she never once said a word to me. Never a good morning, never a goodbye, nothing. She is not a morning person in any way whatsoever. So if at 7 o'clock, 6.30 in the morning, I wake up and I'm like, oh, Jesus, I love you. Dawn, wake up with me. Let's love Jesus together. She won't do it. I get that. <laughs> she does her devotions at night, and she has her time of prayer night. That works for her. And I'm not, so I said, I don't want to be legalistic about this, and I mean that sincerely. I do want to say I think the Lord set a good example, and what you see in Psalms is starting the day off with him, the importance of that. Because so often we say things like this. Okay, mornings are busy, so my first break at work, I'll do some time of prayer. Uh, You may not. Or at lunchtime, I'll stop. Or when I get home from work, those are all good, and I believe those intentions are good. But as life goes on, life gets busier, and I have realized this is just for me, just for me, first thing I do when I wake up in the morning is I put my glasses on. I can't see a thing without them. I put my glasses on. The second thing I do is I read a devotional to get the focus started. And then I start thinking, who asked me to pray for stuff today? Who said, hey, i got a doctor's appointment today, or i got a big day at work, or could you pray for me tomorrow? So I give that over to the Lord. And then I say, okay, Lord, this is your day. This is not my day. Just think about this. The Bible says I'm a bondservant. In fact, the Bible even goes deeper and says I'm a slave. He's my master. What bondservant goes up to the master and says, if I have time today, I'll do what you want. Lord, it's your day from the beginning. So I will put aside all my to-do list and focus on you. Once that gets done, then I'll kind of go to the Lord and say, Lord, this is what I kind of want to get done today. This is what I kind of feel you're leading me to do today. But it's not my day, it's yours. And that's the pattern I do every morning when I get up. So I want to do is go through Psalms here with you, just six verses, and show you what the Bible says about the morning. And I hope it changes the way you start your day out tomorrow. So first verse, Psalm 5, verse 3. Psalm 5, verse 3. My voice you shall hear in the morning, O Lord. In the morning I will direct it to you, and I will look up. First thing you do is you look up, you get your focus on heaven. Colossians says, set your mind on heavenly things, not on earthly things. You do not get up in the morning thinking about, oh, man, today's going to be an awful day at work. Oh, man, today I can't move my knee. It's already hurting. No. No. Heavenly things, right from the beginning. I look up to you, Lord, because this is all about you today. And in the morning, I will direct it to you. You get your focus where it's supposed to be. Once you got your focus where you're supposed to be, what do we do next? Go to Psalm 55 now, please. Psalm 55. First point, look up, focus, get your mind focused on heavenly things. Next one, Psalm 55, verse 17. Evening and morning and at noon, I will pray and cry aloud, and he shall hear my voice. So, Lord, in the morning, I want to start out in prayer. I'm going to start talking to you. You're the best person to talk to in the morning. I'm going to talk to you. I'm not only talking to my master, not only talking to my boss, talking to my father, talking to my best friend. Think about this one, it sounds weird. Talking to my future spouse, because the Bible says we are the bride of Christ. All these different roles that the Lord has, I am talking to him. And so I start my day out in prayer. And not only prayer, go ahead a couple more chapters. Psalm 59 now, please. Psalm 59. Psalm 59, verse 16. But I will sing of your power. Yes, I will sing aloud of your mercy in the morning. For you have been my defense and refuge in the day of my trouble. I not only have a time of prayer, I have a time of praise in the morning. Praise. Now, some of you may be thinking, what do I have to praise him about? I'm going to a job I hate. I wake up in the morning and there's pain. I'm waking up to a house I don't want. I'm waking up to a marriage I don't want. I'm waking up to responsibilities I don't want. You're just praising him for being God. You're praising him for dying on the cross for your sins. You're praising him for the grace and love and mercies he's given you. You're praising him that he has allowed the Holy Spirit to come and live inside of your life. You're praising him for the purpose and direction he's giving you. There's always something to praise. So you have a time of prayer. You have a time of praise. What else do we focus on in the morning then? Psalm 92, please. Psalm 92. Psalm 92, verse 2. To declare your loving kindness in the morning and your faithfulness every night. What am I praising him about? His loving kindness. Some of your translations may say his unfailing love. Listen, you may not have anything to look forward to during the day. You may not. You may not have a job. You may not have a relationship. You may not have health. You may literally have nothing that brings you joy on this planet. But you have the unfailing love of God. You have the loving kindness of the Lord that every morning when you wake up, he loves you. And he loves you unconditionally more than you could ever hope for. Psalm 119 now, please. Psalm 119. Psalm 119, look at verse 147. 147. I rise before the dawning of the morning and cry for help. I hope in your word. Now you cry for help. I get up. My focus is on the Lord. I look towards heaven. I have a time of prayer. I have a time of praise. I focus on his unfailing love. I focus on his loving kindness. And now, I need your help, Lord. Here's my day today. Now, how many of us do that, number one? I love how this is basically saying, focus on him first. Focus on the eternal first. Now, Lord, I got a big day at work today. Please help me through this. Lord, I got a tough situation going on. Lord, my health is struggling. I ask for help. And I like how it kind of hints here in verse 147. I hope in your word. The importance of starting something out in the morning in God's word. I I tell you, every time I'm in the word in the morning, be it a devotional or something, it's something I think about for the rest of the day. The devotional I read this morning was just about grace. Grace. So I've been thinking about grace here this morning. I read a chapter in Mark this morning. And in Mark it had this word of watch, being watchful. And I just kept thinking, you know what? The world is completely falling around us. What am I supposed to do? Watch. Keep my eyes on Christ. And I just keep thinking about those things. I hope in your word. I cry for help. Lastly, Psalm 143. Our last one here, Psalm 143. Look at verse 8. Psalm 1343 verse 8 calls me to hear your loving kindness in the morning, for in you I do trust, cause me to know the way in which I should walk, for I lifted up my soul to you. See, verse 8 calls me to hear, now I'm listening Lord, what do you want me to do today? Verse 8 calls me to know the way in which I should walk, Lord you guide my steps today. I like lists. I have peace of mind when I complete the tasks on my list. I look back on my list and I say, I accomplished this today. Lord, it's not about my list, though. How do you want me to walk today? What do you want me to do? Now, put this all together. You wake up in the morning. First thing you do is you look up, focus, heavenly things, not earthly things. Then it's a time of prayer. Then it's a time of praise. And remember with praise. And it may be literal praise external praise, you listen to a praise song, you sing a praise song, you sing a psalm of praise, you read a psalm of praise now it may not work, I know for me if I was doing that Dawn would not celebrate Jesus with me as I would, you may need to go to a separate room or something maybe it's just internal. Lord I'm giving you this praise, focus on his unfailing love, loving kindness, ask for help on the day and then listen to what he wants you to do and then go out there and walk it changes your day just read a great devotional this week that basically said what you do in the morning spiritually is going to affect how you are in the evening. And There's a lot of truth to that. If I invest in my time in the Lord in the morning by doing these things, by setting the example, excuse me, by following the example of Jesus, it completely changes the way you look at life and it looks at your day. I encourage you tomorrow when you get up, take those verses, apply those verses, do those things. It may mean getting up a little bit earlier. It may mean changing things around a little bit. And listen, it's not legalistic. Maybe you get up and you take your shower, get cleaned up, you get your cup of coffee, go sit down and do it. I don't know. But I'm saying before you get going on the day, stop and do these things. It's the example that Jesus set. It's what the psalmist wrote about. And you see this wonderful example for Christ. I hope it fundamentally changes the way you approach a day to really give it over to the Lord. All right, now back to Matthew 14, please. Back to Matthew 14. So Jesus gets away, he gets alone, he's praying. He sent the disciples out, verse 24. But the boat was now in the middle of the sea, tossed by the waves, for the wind was contrary. Now in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to them walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a ghost, and they cried out for fear. Now this is kind of interesting here. Fourth watch is about 3 a.m. in the morning. 3 a.m. in the morning. These guys are scared. Scared. Because what's going on here is this awful storm, verse 24, tossed by the waves. The wind was contrary. The disciples saw him in verse 26. They're troubled, it's fear. The English language does not do a good enough job to describe what this is. When you really study out these words, one translation says they were toiling. It means they were in torturous, grievous pain. They were harassed. They were distressed. They weren't just scared. They were scared out of their mind. These guys are experienced, professional fishermen. They have been on this body of water probably hundreds of times in their life. And this was a storm that scared them. This is quite the storm. And it's happening at what time? Around 3 a.m. Now just think about that. Isn't everything a little scarier at 3 a.m.? If a thunderstorm hits at 3 p.m., I go outside and I watch it. I enjoy it. If a thunderstorm hits at 3 a.m., you get the kids, you go to the basement. It's totally different when it's dark like that. It's completely different. This is a fear. This is a storm that they have never experienced before. It is happening at 3 a.m. They are tired. It's been a long day. Basically, verse 26 sums it up. And they cried out for fear. That's some of you guys right now. You are just completely, utterly in a storm. You are in torturous, grievous pain. You're harassed. You're distressed. Life is tough right now. And you're afraid. Maybe that's not the season you're in. You know somebody who is like that, though. They're going through a difficult time. They're toiling. It's difficult. And they need help. They need answers. And we have the answer. It's Jesus Christ. Now, this is what's interesting about this story. In the book of Mark, in Mark's account of this, in Mark 6, it says that Jesus was walking on the water, saw them toiling. And you remember what it says in the book of Mark? That he was going to pass on by. Think about that. This is your loving Savior again. You're sitting in the boat, toiling, working. You're you're, you're afraid. Jesus just walks by waves and says, hey, and just keeps on walking. Why? Because Jesus will never force himself on anybody in any way whatsoever. If you want his help, he is there. If you want the relationship with them, he is there. He does not push. He does not pressure. He will use the Holy Spirit to convict and to lead you towards them. But you ultimately have to want it. So just please remember this. Moms, dads, grandparents, friends, family members here. If you have a loved one that doesn't know Christ, Jesus will be there. He'll help them in the storm, but they have to want it first. They have to decide they want the help that he offers. If not, he'll walk on by. Not because he doesn't love them. It's not because he doesn't care. He will meet them in the storm and be available. They have to want it. So Christ was going to pass on by until they cry out. They cry out. So what does he say to them? Verse 27, Immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Be of good cheer, as I do not be afraid. I love that. Immediately be of good cheer. Don't be afraid. Some of your translations, take courage. You have nothing to worry about. Christ is there. Now, the storm's still going. It's still 3 a.m. Things are still pretty difficult, but Christ is there. This is one of his favorite phrases. Be of good cheer, do not be afraid, take courage. In the book of Matthew, he uses it three times alone. The first time he uses it, when somebody's sins are forgiven. That's a pretty good thing. second time he uses it is when he heals somebody physically. And the third time he uses it is right here, when they're afraid and fearful. Isn't that fascinating? When you are spiritually struggling and the fear of hell, I don't know where I stand with the Lord, Jesus shows up to say what? Be of good cheer. As I do not be afraid, your sins are forgiven. Amen, Lord. Thank you. When you're struggling in this life, be it physically, emotionally, spiritually, what does Jesus do? He shows up and he says what? Be of good cheer as I do not be afraid. And in this example, when fear is the best of you, he shows up to say what? Be of good cheer as I do not be afraid. Whatever situation you're facing, Christ will show up and say, take courage. Don't be afraid. I am here to help you through it. Now, how are you going to respond to that? Verse 28. Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. So he said, come. And when Peter had come down out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw the wind was boisterous, he was afraid and beginning to sink, he cried out, saying, Lord, save me. Verse 31, and immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him and said to him, O oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased, and those who were in the boat came and worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. Now, I've taught on this many times before, and most of the time when I teach on this, I pick on Peter. Peter getting out on the water getting his eyes on the storm and sinking. And I heard a teaching recently that really just made me remember this. There's only two people in the history of the world that's ever walked on water, Jesus and Peter. That's pretty impressive. There's only two people in the whole history of the world that's ever walked on water, Jesus and Peter. Yeah, well, Peter sank, but he walked on water. He was willing to get out of the boat. He was willing in faith to do it. Yeah, he sank, and we'll get to that point in a second. But, man, he walked on water. Can you imagine after Jesus ascended into heaven and the disciples are just sitting there talking about stuff? I mean, Peter would look at John and say, John, what was it like walking on water? John would be like, I don't know, I didn't do it. Peter's like, that's right, you didn't. You know? (laughs) Only two people have ever walked on water. That's pretty impressive. So the question comes out spiritually, You're in a storm. You're in a boat. Jesus is in your life right now saying, hey, step out of the boat and trust me. Are you willing to do it? He doesn't even say step out of the boat and trust me. Look at this, verse 29. He just says, come. No pep talk. No, Peter, you can do this. Now, Peter, be careful. That first step's a little tough. Peter, keep your eyes on me. None of it. It's just come. I've noticed sometimes in my walk with the Lord when God wants me to do something that's just completely out there. I'm looking for more information. I'm looking for more direction. I'm looking for more whatever. And the only thing I get is a come. Wow, Lord, that's a lot of faith. Come. But Peter did. And he walked on water. Now, what was the problem? The problem is verse 30. He saw that the wind was boisterous. He was afraid. He got his eyes on the situation and not on the Savior. He got his eyes on circumstances and not on Christ. Same thing happens today. If you keep your eyes on the Savior, you can get through whatever storms life is throwing at you right now. If you get your eyes on the situation, you will sink. If you keep your eyes on the circumstances, you will sink. If you keep your eyes on Christ, you can walk on water. What one are you going to focus on? Because you know what? The wind is boisterous. The waves are around you. You will sink. But here's the beautiful thing of grace. When I sink, guess what happens? Verse thirty. Lord, save me. And immediately, Jesus stretched out his hand, caught him and said to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Immediately. Jesus didn't let him sink for a few feet to get his point across. He didn't. He immediately stretched out his hand, caught him first, and then said, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Now, you you can put your own inflection into this. My personal opinion, verse 31, I don't think Jesus was yelling it. I don't think Jesus was screaming it. I don't think Jesus was angry. I think it was just, oh, you have little faith, why did you doubt? Why did you doubt? Trust me. But you see grace, you see mercy there of I'm going to catch you. I'm going to catch you. I struggle with this sometimes. I especially struggle with this. Now, I'll give you an example. Like if my, one of my kids get hurt. So one of my kids get hurt. I come in, somebody comes in and says, so-and-so is bleeding, so-and-so is whatever. So I find the kid that's hurt. The kid is hurt. They're bleeding. I have them in one hand. First thing I say is, who did it? What happened? Okay, I got a bleeding child here who needs attention. Yeah, I'll get to him in a little bit. I want to lay down the law first. Who did it? What happened? Aren't you thankful in this instance Jesus did not lay down the law first? Grace. I remember years ago, it was the first pastor's conference I went to. It would have been back in, uh, oh gosh, it would have been back in 94 And it was with uh, Kelly went and Jim went and Jason Punches went. I remember Chuck Smith taught a message on the difference between the ambulance and the police. That when there's an accident and when when they show up, what do the police do? The police's job is what? Who's right? Who's wrong? Section it off. Find out the details. But when the ambulance shows up, they don't care about who's right or who's wrong. Who's the most hurt? Who's the most hurt and how can we help them? And he was talking about how there's times in Christianity where you need to know who's right. You need to know who's wrong. But ultimately speaking, we're called to be ambulance drivers. We show up to the scene and say, who's hurt? Who can we represent Christ to? Who can we meet and minister to? I'm so thankful when I see Jesus right here, he just sticks his hand out and says, I'm going to help you, Peter. It's grace. Because what did Peter say? Lord, save me. Now, we skip over verse 32 too much. When they got into the boat, the wind ceased. That's a pretty amazing miracle right there. Got in the boat. Now, he's done this before. He's rebuked the sea. He's rebuked the storm. But he gets in the boat, and the wind just ceases like that. What an amazing miracle. I heard a teaching years ago that talked about how they thought maybe the storm was satanically inspired. Hey, I got everybody right here. Let's sink them all. Nope. The wind ceases. And then what's the only, only natural reaction to something so supernatural? Verse 33. Then those who were in the boat came and worshiped him, saying, truly, you are the Son of God. Wow. What an amazing thing. What an absolutely amazing thing. Only two people in history have walked on water. Keep your eyes on the Savior, not the situation. And you know what? Lord, save me. His hand will immediately come out and pull you up out of the water. You've got to love it. got to love it. Worship team, if you can come forward here for the final song. Hey, let's pray this into our lives. Lord, I just want to pray for everybody here this morning that is in the midst of a storm and they're sinking. Show them that you are there, your hand is stretching out, and you love them. Lord, be there for them as they cry out, Lord, save me. Thank you for your love, grace, and mercy. And Lord, help us help us to start our mornings out with you, to look to you, to pray to you, to praise you, to focus on your love, to ask for the help we need, and to listen and to walk in your truth. Thank you for this wonderful week of ministry. We praise you for that, and I pray you bless all those kids that came, those seeds that were planted. To you be the glory, and we prayed, you answered. Thank you, Lord. Go before all the upcoming outreaches now, the prayer chain at Henry County, the back-to-school giveaway, safety for the motorcycle run coming up here next week, and just this Friday, the fellowship time over at Leader's House. We love you and praise you, and help us be a body of believers that's focused on you and your name. Amen.